0: When the Torah tells us that a new king took over Mitzrayim and started to decree against the Jewish people, was it really a new king? Rashi quotes two opinions based on the Gemara, Rav and Shmuel. And the fact that Rashi tells us who those opinions are means that we need to know how Rav and Shmuel learn generally because it will help us to understand why they take their specific opinions here too. Except that we'll discover there is a shittah, there's a general rule that runs right through Rav and Shmuel's interpretations of all kinds of issues within the Torah. And then there's something specific about how in those few occasions where Rashi actually tells us their names when commenting on the parasha, there is another layer to their two opinions. It effectively boils down to how do you read the world? Is it about relationships with people or relationships with God? Is it about the word in its direct meaning or is it about the context? commenting on the pasuk that says, And a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Yosef. Rashi quotes those three words. And a new king arose. And his explains as follows. It's a debate between Rav Shmuel. One of whom says it was literally a new king. Whereas the other one says it was a king, old king, new decrees. Where does Rashi get this from? The mocha from the Mpishrash is in Gemara. It's a Gemara in Saita that tells us in the Gemara is dot In fact, the Gemara goes into detail and says there's an advantage to ta- to saying that it's a new king. There's an advantage to saying that it is a king with new decrees. The opinion who says he was a new king, because the Pook says a new king, so it literally means a new king and the one who says that it was the old king with new decrees it's because there's no indication in the psukim that the original king died and a new king took over. That's what the gemara says now we know of course that Rashi's intention is only to explain the simple understanding of the Pasuk still Rashi quotes both interpretations why is because the argument in either direction could be based on the Pshat of the pasukim. okay so what's the Pshat where do you see both opinions in the Pshat well, have a look at what Rashi quotes. He quotes the words, "And a king arose." Even though Rashi really wants to explain the word "chadash," so he could have just said the word "chadash." Why does he include that a king arose? Because by saying vayokam that the king arose, and it doesn't say "And he became a king." That lends credibility to the opinion that says it was still the original king, just he changed his attitude. Whereas when it says that a king arose, that lends credibility to the first interpretation that it was literally a new king. So we can see that Rashi finds evidence for both sides of the argument in the Pshat of the Psukkim. On the other hand, considering that each one of the interpretations has a certain advantage over the other. Which means of a which means it obviously also has a weakness compared to the other, right? Logically, if each one has an advantage, that implies that each one has a disadvantage. One thing we know as a rule, right throughout Rashi, when Rashi quotes two opinions, whichever one he puts first is the one that is closest to the most simple understanding of the psukim. Likewise, over here, to say new king. Why is that the most logical? For three reasons. The simplest open reason is when the terrace is new. The most obvious explanation is it means new. So if the terrace is new king, it must mean new king. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit more convoluted when you say, well, the point of the, the way that a king runs his kingdom is by putting out decrees. And so therefore, when he states a decree, and it's a new decree, that would be like a new king. That's already further from the pshat. Vayoka melech a new king, the most simple explanation is king. Second of all, beis, fate and perish. Let's go with the second explanation, which is nishad shug that it was the old king who now had new decrees. Mosmetaish, yoda, then you're going to have to, as Rashi will tell us a little bit later, reinterpret what it means when it says that he didn't know Yosef. You'd have to say that he pretended, he, he made as if he didn't know Yosef. As the Gemara says, and Rashi doesn't only say it, he actually adds a verb and he says, and he was a new king or an old king, and he made it as if he didn't know uh, Yosef. So Rashi adds a Vov, a, a conjunction to the expression of the pasuk that he did not know Yosef. Why does Rashi put the Vov? Because it's a direct flow. If you go with the view that it's the old king, but now he's taken a new attitude and instituted new decrees, then you'd also, and you'd have to say that he pretended not to know Yosef. Whereas it's much simpler to go with the first interpretation. He is a new king. And because he's a new king, he didn't know Yosef. So that's the second reason why the first explanation is closer to the Pshat. And lastly, Ah, you have the question, if it is in fact a new king, why didn't it say that he took the role of king? Can you explain as follows? The intention of the Torah over here is not to tell us the history of the kings of Egypt. We had that previously with the kings of Edom, and then it says or right? But over here, that's not that's not the intention. The intention is not to tell us the history. So no The Torah is only interested in the part of the story that impacts us as Jewish people, As for that the Jews now had to suffer unto new, uh, under new and very difficult decrees. So we don't have to get into the details of which king died and which king then became the next king. they We're only interested in the part that affects us. The only part that's relevant to us is that there's a king who has a new attitude with new and difficult decrees against the Jewish people. Which is why for these three reasons, Rashi will first quote Vayokam Melech means Chodesh Mamesh, literally a new king, because that's the one that is simplest according to the simple understanding of the Pshat. But what we need to understand is why does Rashi feel the need to tell us that it's Rav and Shmuel who have this argument. Rashi only gives that information if it's going to help us understand things better. Now we can perhaps use this as an explanation as to why Rashi quotes the names, Because as Rebbe says we've discussed many, many times before, up from The only time Rashi quotes the name of who said the particular opinion in his commentary is if it will help address a sharp question or the question of a sharp student. Because knowing who says it will help you understand why they say what they say. Over Hekdum, as be Pascha staff and onim, and asindi machloekus and for the Gemara zokt fir shemayis bale amaimer and they're not chadom or chul, or chadom Now, logic: you have to say if the Gemara presents us with two names and then says one says X and one says Y, is bechal deresh chadom et der vos the Gemara zokt fir and etzvei tevos verte mont spretta. Logic tells us if the Gemara says Rab and Shmuel, one says X, well, that's probably Rav because he was mentioned first, so he must be the first chadomar, and then Shmuel because he was mentioned second, he must be the second chadomar. So now we're going to see that there's a theme that develops. There are many times that the Gemara quotes Rav and Shmuel arguing about the interpretation of a pasuk and of a miyuchod in them in from chadomer to Especially when the Gemara presents it as Rav and Shmuel argued, one said this and one said that. We must see a thread that runs right through them. You'll see that there is a Rav opinion that runs through all of it, and is common to all of Rav's interpretations of the pesukim, and there's a Shmuel opinion which is common to all of Shmuel's interpretations of the pesukim. So there, first, what we're going to notice about Rav and his shita about generally how you interpret pesukim is nem talseke dem word or the verter. Rav always looks at the word and the interpretation of the word or words and from that he builds his interpretation. Even if the context will sometimes have questions based on the interpretation of the word, Rav would rather first interpret according to the words. Whereas the shmuel is where Shmuel will prioritize the context and the content which may leave us with questions about the particular word or word. So we'll look at a few examples. We'll start with an example of Yosef. When it says that Yosef came home to do his work and nobody else was there except for Potiphar's wife and that's when she tried to seduce him. The Gemara says, Rav Shmuel, Right? Similar argument, one, which we're assuming Rav said he literally came to do his job. And the other pin, which we'll assume is Shmuel, says that he came with uh, inappropriate intentions. Okay, he was actually going to go ahead and succumb to Potiphar's wife. So there you can see it, right? When you say that he came to do his work means literally to do his work. That's the from Then you're prioritizing the meaning of the word. Melacha means melacha, work means work. But when you look at the context, is what does the pasuk say immediately after that? No, nobody else was there. Is Mashma that implies that the context is really important? As the that seems as if the Torah is now clarifying, oh, maybe Milocha over here is euphemistic. It's the kind of work that requires a setup where nobody's around. The river, for which reason, which is why the other opinion, which we'll assume to be Shmuel, says, no, melachtoy over here is euphemistic and it means he was actually intending to be with Poitifar's wife. Just to look at this from a different angle. Let's say that it wasn't this scenario, right? Okay, so, so let's not even talk about the fact that it's nobody around. The fact that she had already expressed her intentions. And the fact that she had stayed behind. And the fact that she had hacked him on a daily basis that this is what she wanted already all lends itself in context to thinking, you know what, when he comes to do his work, maybe there's more to the story than his work. So Rav looks at the word, he says, Melacha means he came to do his job, and that's it. Are ah, you have questions about why he came knowing nobody else was there? Okay, we prioritize the word. Shmuel says, look at the context, that's what counts. Melacha, yes, of course, we have to stretch the word a little bit beyond its literal translation, but the context lends itself to the fact that he came there with other intentions. That's one example. The next example we'll look at is from the Purim story. Beisef and Passover Megillah says to Mohudabat Kush, the beginning of the Megillah, it tells us a Hashverish ruled from Hoidah to Kush. Zakti <speaking in Hebrew> The Gemara also says that the Machlaik is Ravashmul. Chad Omar, one, which we'll assume to be Rav, says <speaking in Hebrew> that it was the extent of his empire from Hoidu to Kush on two opposite ends of the world, literally. Ad is literally from point A to point B. Whereas the other opinion, which we'll assume to be Shmuel, says that And the Torah is giving us context over here to say, just as you could obviously rule over a place that is close to each other and you can have a tight ship. That's how Achashverosh ruled over the entire world and you can actually prove that from Shlomo Melech. Where it says, "I told the Mecholei in Same thing. The the, the, the pasuk in Aleph tells us that Shmuel uh, that ruled from Tifzach till Azor. Same machlokes. Rav says it's a huge distance between the two. Shmuel says it shows us how much control he had. ad So the first opinion, Rav says, ad means from until, literally, Amerchek and Shetach. A physical distance of a medes that shot a flow from a head Kush from a could say hoilam bis to the Kotze. So, what's so amazing to say? Achash ruled from heute to Kush pure distance, pure size, the, the expanse of his kingdom. But from them was a state in Passock, them sheves and mea Medina. I, but immediately after the Passock, then says 127 provinces, was to us his shade in which already tells me that the whole world was under his rule comes along and says look at the context the context lends itself that ad in this pasuk of doesn't mean physical distance it means something else because we already know the expanse of his kingdom 127 provinces because if you're going to say that as Rav says is distance and 127 provinces is distance then the Torah the Megillah has repeated itself and said the same information twice the therefore, according to Shmuel, the other opinion, the Pasik is actually highlighting something else. As Al just as he had absolute control over a very small, close area, so he had the same degree of control over the entire kingdom. In other words, the Pasik is emphasizing his power and his strength and the strength of his kingdom. Third example. The two arguments that the the, the Gemara brings prior to telling us before tells us about um, how you interpret the Melech Chodosh who came over Mitzrayim. So before that, the Gemara says as follows. Tells us that the story of the Battle of Sodom in which Lot was taken captive, it says it was in the days of Amrafil, who's Amrafel, Rav again a According to Rav, his real name was Nimroid. Why in this context is he called by a different name? Amrafil Because Am alludes to the fact that he is the one who made a statement, the decree for which Avramavin was thrown into a furnace of fire. Whereas the other opinion, Shmuel says, Amraphel Shmoy. His real birth name was Amraphel. Why elsewhere in the Torah is he referred to as Nimrod? Because he caused the entire world to rebel against Hashem. Now we're going to use the same logic over here. When you read the Pesukim that tells us about the birth of that person called Nimrod, it says, Kush gave birth to Nimrod. If I read the words and just interpret the words at face value, it's Nimroid. Then the name Nimrod, like most names in that section and generally in the Torah, that's his name. You don't have to look for a reason for it. That's his name. That's his birth name. That's how the Torah is telling us. Rav's attitude, read, the words but when you come later into the story and you find that something occurred in the days of a person called Amraphel and we now know that this person Amraphel is Nimrod yet we have to ask ourselves the question if his name is Nimrod why is the Torah calling him Amraphel So therefore, you have to say, must be something about this name that is used over here, which is to tell us a story. For which reason, Shmuel's opinion would be, look at the context. What's the context? How does... uh, Sorry, not Shmuel's opinion, Rav's opinion. His name is Nimrod. Why here is he called Amraphel? Because here it's telling us something else about him, that he's the person who made the statement for which Avraham was thrown into the furnace. That's if you take Rav's opinion. Nimrod is Nimrod. But if you take Shmuel's opinion, which is you always look at the words specifically in the context of the Pzukim, look at what happens. We're told that Kush gave birth to a man called Nimrod. And then immediately after, it starts to tell us, what kind of a person was he? <speaking in> who <Hebrew> He was a powerful man in the land. <speaking> in <Hebrew> he was strong and almost like a, like a warrior against Hashem. <speaking in Hebrew> for which reason, people will speak about him and say, <speaking in Hebrew> Somebody who rebels against Hashem is compared to Nimrod. So the fact that the context immediately gives us an explanation for his name, Says, That's the Torah telling us right there and then why a person who actually has another name would also be called Nimrod. So, Nimrod's not his real name, it's the name that depicts his character. Whereas, later on in the story of Sadoim, where it tells us about Amrofil, where the Torah doesn't give us any further detail, and there's no spec- specification in the Pasuk, Amrofil is the name for X reason, Rav told us that, but it's not in the Pasuk, it's a call which is that must be his real name, because where the Torah tells us the reason behind the name, that's the name that was applied to him. So Rav says, I see his name as Nimrod was born to Cush. It must be his name. Shmuel says Nimrod is given a whole description that he is the person who caused people to rebel against Hashem. That's not his real name. Amraphel is his real name. And lastly, we see a similar argument, Mara Why Mara Samach is called the so-called Doubled Cave. Rav Shmuel. According to Rav, it's because it was a cave. And then another cave, Beyond that cave, and words, deeper inside, two, so to speak, homes, one deeper than the other. Where Shmuel says, it's like a double-story cave. To which the Gemara then says, now it does make sense if you're going to call it a doubled cave, the first thing that comes to mind, double is double-story. So that makes sense according to Shmuel. But if you're just going to say it's like a cave and then a passage to another cave, why is it called Doubled? So according to Rav, you'll have to explain Doubled means because the people are buried there as couples. So, here you can again see Rav and Shmuel following their same Shittah right around. What's the Shittah? Rav looks at the word, Shmuel looks at the context the fact that it says that's a singular word the cave that is doubled a single cave with some characteristic that makes it doubled is so then if you're going to explain well what's doubled about it is how people are buried there they're buried there in pairs as the state from so each grave set is a doubled grave set that fits the words a cave with doubles the words fit better than to say it's a double story cave especially if you're going with Schmul's opinion which is that there's a cave and another cave on top of it which basically means two caves if there are two caves so to speak into the mountain side or into the ground The one is actually totally independent of the other. So there's no logical reason to say that the cave is doubled. It's a place where you have two caves. So, therefore, according to Rav, the most logical thing is it's a ma'orah, a single cave. Why is it called doubled? Because the way people are buried over there is in pairs. That's if you're looking at the words. But if you're looking at the context, as Shmuel does, it's that explanation that Rav gives that it's a cave and then another cave deeper within. And the reason it's called doubled is because people are buried there in pairs. It's difficult to look at it in the context. Why? Because Avram Avinu, he approaches the, the Ephraim and the people of Ches with a request. It's almost like he beseeches them. He bows to them, he says to them, if you will consider, and what does he want? I need to bury my dead, my individual sorrow. And one of the reasons that he would want to do so is to mitigate the terrible pain that he feels over having lost her. How in context would it be logical that Avram Avinu is asking for eight graves? He should be asking for one grave. Therefore, Shmuel looks at the context and he says "No, it must be that the double value of this cave is not how the people are buried there, but the physical structure of the cave. Okay, so what have we seen? That there is a leshitosei of Rav and Shmuel that runs right throughout all the various places that they're brought brought commenting on how you interpret Psukim. Rav always goes to the word first, Shmuel always goes to the context first, and that's absolutely beautiful. So we can use that now to explain our scenario Let's look at our case Does chadash mean literally chadash or not? Is it about the word or about the context? So, the first question that should bother us about the Pasuk is why did the Pasuk have to tell us that there's a new king? And it ongeheben bald, why didn't it just immediately start after tells us that the Jewish people grew in exponential means. And they were highly successful. as So the next thing the Pasuk should have said is, The next thing should have been, the king turns around to his people and says, Whoa, we've got to worry. These Jews are growing at such a rate. Maybe they'll overcome us, overtake us. Why is it relevant to the story if the king is a new king or an old king? We understand his fear. The Jews are growing too rapidly and it's a threat to his community, to his nation. Says, so the reason the Pasek had to tell us this is because there's something very disturbing about this attitude that Paroi suddenly has. The Pasek has to tackle a shocker question. How is it possible that Paroi should suddenly make these horrible degree, uh, decrees against Yosef's people? Specifically his own family, his own children the was considering how much good Joseph did for Paroi personally and for Mitzrayim as a whole. That's the burning question of you, which the Torah has to address. So the Torah has to answer that by saying, It's a new king who doesn't know Yosef. Which is why it's no surprise that he would come up with these horrific decrees because he, he's he's new to the job, he doesn't know Yosef. Now, what about your this king is new? That Rashi has to explain and explain by telling us that it's Rav or Shmuel. Because now that I know it's Rav talking when he says and it's Shmuel talking when it says knowing who it is will help me better understand each of their opinions and why there's an edge to each interpretation over the other. A Chodom leshitoso, and his meforshdivverter, a Rav who goes according to his shita and interprets firstly the meaning of the words. It's a new king, Asher loyad es Yosef, who literally didn't know Yosef. Kipshutem, you take that all at face value. Says his uvgishan and anai medech was hot Yosef nit gikent. It must mean that there's a new king on the block and he literally does not know Yosef. Which would explain very clearly how he could have the chutzpah of initiating such terrible decrees against such good people who had helped the country so much. But that just doesn't seem to fit with the overall context. Why? Because Let's even say he is a new king. What did they not give him a history lesson? And was he not from Egypt himself? He must have known about Yosef's contribution. The fact that this is the man who saved Egypt. Everybody knew that. Even outside of Mitzrayim, they knew that. Especially if you are somebody who was in the political arena and now going to be the next king, you would have known this. He for sure would have known history from just simply one generation ago as Especially when you consider that Paro doesn't make this decree alone, he consults and includes the whole nation. He calls on the people, he says, let us together be smart in how we deal with them. Now, logically, there had to have been a good amount of Egyptians who had experienced Yosef's leadership and had literally been saved by him. You have no choice, says Shmuel, if you look at the context, to say this is somebody who now makes as if he doesn't know the story of Joseph, because everybody knew it. Therefore, according to his opinion, this is not just a parenthetical statement, which would be the opinion of Rav, As where according to Rav, it's just like, you know, you've got to quickly detail how it's possible that he could have made these terrible decrees if he, you know, he, he must be a new king. Not the According to Shmuel, it's not just parenthetical how this could happen, it's to emphasize what a horrible person, what a wicked individual this Parai was. But has <laughs> some the which fits the context of the entire conversation which the Torah is about to tell us now. That's why, according to Shmuel, that is the intention of the pasuk. It is the same king. We need to know that. And nevertheless, not He pretends like he doesn't know Yosef in the history. He as in is by Joseph from Paroy, by which means the Torah illustrates and highlights for us how wicked this Paroy is. In spite of the fact that, yes, of course, you'll have a question about the words. How do the words work that he has new Gezeros? Fine, okay, we'll deal with that. But the big issue over here is he's a horrible, horrific human being. Now, there came in Was Rashi from Now that we've understood that there's this Raven Shmuel debate that goes right throughout, do you analyze the words or do you analyze the context? Will actually help us understand another place where Rashi quotes rabbi Shmuel arguing about the understanding of a pasuk. and it's very interesting that Rashi attributes this machlokes to Raven Shmuel, whereas the gemara medrash attributed it to rabbi Yehuda and rabbi Nehemiah. Which pasuk is that? If a pasuk when it speaks about Avram and it says Va'ita Eichel be'er that he planted this ashel in be'er Sheva, is Rashi before us vort Eichel? Rashi says, what is an ashel? It's a debate. One opinion, which he's going to say is is that it's this beautiful orchard from which you bring fruits to the crowd, to the guests. Whereas the other, which is Shmuel, says it's an inn where people could stay over. And it also has many kinds of foods. And it brings a PASAC to prove that you could use the word plant when you're referring to a structure like a tent. So, Mitzvah, Peter, the eishalif. I look simply at the words. Lenin has also given a from Paris. When you talk about planting, the literal explanation of the words planting is you're planting trees, which implies an orchard, which has fruit. And is Shitas schadomah, that's the first opinion which we attribute to Rav whereas the second opinion which we'll attribute to Shmuel which says look at the bigger context of this entire story what's the Torah telling us that this wasn't just simply a hospitality Place. This was a, a place that Avraham Abenu used to encourage people to call out and acknowledge Hashem. Rashi goes through the details. It's because of the Aishel that people acknowledged Hashem's name because they came to get food and then they wanted to pay. And Avraham Abenu told them to bless Hashem. So in that context, is from Paris So the logic would then tell you, it makes much more sense. And how do you get people to call out in Hashem's name by giving them a place to stay, not just simply serving them fruit? Was Because if they stay over, they get to learn from Avraham over a period of time, and he can influence them. Mit and he can use all kinds of delicacies. Was is matam z'merzain the bench which will be much more reason to encourage people to bless Hashem <speaking in Hebrew> because of the many kinds of goodness that Avram has shown them. <speaking in Hebrew> so, even though the word Vayita is going to be in question now, Vayita normally means to plant. How could it refer to setting up a tent? And Rashi will then bring a proof that supports it. So what we have illustrated over here is that right across the board in all of the cases that we have quoted, certainly from the Gemara Medrash, Rav and Shmuel arguing as Lishita Sum. Rav always looks at the word, Shmuel always looks at the context, and that's beautiful. Except it doesn't really answer how Rashi will see it, because ad Khan is to Gemara Medrash b'leshita and Rav and Shmuel. So far we've explained how the Gemara Medrash would see this common theme right throughout all the debates about how to interpret psukim in between Rav and Shmuel. But when as Rashi However, that would not actually be a good enough reason to explain why, in this particular pasuk about the Melech Hadosh, Rashi had to tell us the names Rav Shmuel again so that we'll know that they're following their shita, their thematic interpretation of Torah. Why? Because if that is what Rashi intended, he should do so every time that he quotes a Rashi a Rav and Shmuel debate. So that's what you'd expect. If Rashi wants us to know that Rav and Shmuel go according to their shittas, then every time Rashi quotes their arguments, he should give us their names. Now we've listed a whole lot of places where Rav and Shmuel debate about the interpretation of Psukim, and many of the times that Rashi quotes the debates, he does not quote their names where does he in the story of Yosef and Potiphar's wife and in our parasha about the so-called new king and whereas in other places look what Rashi does when Rashi speaks about Nimrod and how he became this powerful rebel against Hashem, whereas he does in fact tell us this expression, like Shwal, that he caused everybody to rebel against Hashem. You have to remember, of course, that to say that strength is illustrated by rebellion against Hashem is a surprise. It's not Pshat, it's not what you normally expect. As Do Domain. That that Gibor means Dafka to rebel against Hashem. Where do you get that from? Is from the word Nimrod? That has to be extracted out of the word Nimrod. Yet when it, when it comes to Parshas and we come across Amraphil, there he says Nimrod is Amraphel who caused. um uh Avram of uh, to be thrown into fire is is Nimrod Shmoi. Sounds like Rashi is very clearly of the view that it's that his name is Nimrod. On that And he doesn't say that. The first explanation I gave that Nimrod is the one who's rebelling against Hashem, that's Rav's opinion. And the second explanation I gave is i is Nimrod. Shmuel's opinion doesn't say it. When it comes to the interpretations of whether it's a double story or a cave that that is called double because people are buried in pairs. He just quotes the one after the other, a double story cave. is another opinion that it's where people are buried in pairs. And he doesn't quote Rav Shmuel. And lastly, the most surprising of the lot, of when it comes to interpreting Kush at the beginning of Megillah Sester, in he says very simply that it's like the Vechad Amar. So he tells us. Hoido and Kush are close and he had that kind of control over his entire kingdom. Doesn't say a word about the alternative that Hoido and Kush is actually a measure of distance and it doesn't tell us that it is Shmuel. Therefore, Muslim Zogin, as in the of Rashi, bring the from Rabbi Shmuel. So we have no choice but to conclude that in those places, like in our parasha, where Rashi does tell us that it's Rav arguing with Shmuel, it's not because he needs us to know that Rav and Shmuel follow their shita; that Rav always interprets the word and Shmuel always the context, because that may be true, but it's not the way that is relevant in pshat of these pesukim. Nor, as does the nor in the it must be that there is another lishitosam between Rav and Shmuel, another area in which they see halokha differently, and because of that, see the pesukim differently, which is relevant in these cases and the Melech Chodesh. Or alternatively, what Rashi needs to do is to address a question that a sharp student would ask. So why is it that in these two cases we need to know, according to Rashi, that it's a debate of Rav and Shmuel? The expression, let's look at our case first. Why is it relevant in our pasuk to know that it's a new king? The context has to be clear. We need to know that this king is a bad guy. He's a Russia, and therefore he's decreeing against the Jewish people. So therefore, sorry, as and not my Because the truth is that even the opinion Rav, who says means he's literally a new king, it's still far fetched to say and he knew nothing about Yosef. Because as we already said before, Yosef had such an impact, he was literally emblazoned on the historical collective memory of the Egyptian people. It's not feasible to say he didn't know Yosef as well. So the, we have to be inclined to saying over here that he is a Russian, and the Torah wants us to know that he's a Russian. And that's why it says that he has new Gezeros and that he forgot Yosef. And the entire argument which says, wei, So many Jews, they might overtake us. Even a child learning Chumash for the first time will know these are unfounded allegations. Because the nature of people is that you do not respond to somebody who's been good to you by being bad to them, and we know this from Chumash as well. Look at the engagement between Avram and Avimelech. Because Avimelech did a favor to Avram, he said, "My land is yours. Feel at home." As a result, that Avimelech was good to Avram. How does Avram Avinu respond? He makes an oath: "We will always be on good terms to you, your children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and your entire people." So it's already a known reality. If you didn't know it out of logic, you know it out of chumash that the attitude of people is: if you're good to me, I will I I will reciprocate with goodness. So the same thing must apply to the Jews in Mitzrayim. These Jews now knew that their ancestors, Joseph and family, were looked after so well by Pairoi. had a from firstly, Pyro took Joseph out of prison. He made him the second in command of the entire country. To the extent that nobody could make any meaningful decision without consulting Yosef and getting his permission. And then, of course, the Jews knew that their ancestors had been put by Pyro himself in the best land within Mitzrayim. Is poshut, as Melch mit Sreimon Abba have verstanden as Diden, a better, so the Egyptians could have rested well at night knowing that the Jewish people, even a whole generation later, well and their friend, it ops on are not going to now turn around and be not only ungrateful, but to attack them, as Pyrrhus suggests. Over a mede is clara, as an chashan mede of given an oisreit on the cibus axeus, given with so it's pretty clear then that when Paroi announces to his people, watch out from the, for the Jews, they're going to rise up against us. That is clearly nonsense. It's some kind of weak rationalization for his wickedness. And because of his wickedness, that's why he's decreeing against the Jews. So we now know that the Torah wants us to know what a Russia Paroi was. We just need to understand in which realm of Rishus does Paroi belong. In from Where is the main wickedness of Paroy expressed? in the way he treats people. The way he reacts to Hashem. how he reacts to God. Always his main rishus, the way he acts to people, the way he treats the Jews. That debate, which is the bigger issue, Paro's attitude to Hashem, or Paro's attitude to the Jews, that will depend on if you're looking from Rav's or Shmuel's perspective. Now, in order to understand that, we need to know where's the area of expertise of Rav and the area of expertise of Shmuel, because that will speak to the heart of this issue. Do you focus mainly on Bein and or mainly on Bein Odom so the Gemara zot we know very well, the Gemara tells us, that if you have an argument between Rav and Shmuel, you always follow Rav when it's an issue of iser that which is forbidden by Torah or permitted by Torah, and you always follow Shmuel when it's an issue which has to do with finances, which is effectively into human relationships. So the Rishonim explained a very logical reason why this is obviously goes without saying that there were times that Rav also paskoned Where there was no debate And we followed his psak with regards to financial issues It goes without question that Shmuel also tackled issues of Yisra is Shmuel's primary area of expertise was financial issues And that's where he really applied his mind And went into the depth And therefore it makes sense to Paskin like him whereas Rav, he prioritized most of his learning and investigation and 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 depth of learning was specifically about Yisra which is why we follow his opinion when there's a debate so it's pretty clear that Rav's focal point of his entire teaching and learning was Yisra and Shmuel's primary area of focus was in issues that have to do with the finance. So what's the difference between them? division is and is the difference between these two areas these two fields of Torah is is If something is kosher or non-kosher, forbidden or permitted, that's between you and God. Financial issues are primarily issues between people Ah, so now we see Rav's primary area of focus in his learning is How you interact with Hashem Shmuel's is How you interact with the next person on the river. So if there's any issue which may have an element of it that's between you and Hashem, and an element that's between you and people, So Rav's attitude will be how he could connect to connect this issue how you see it from the perspective of between man and God and Shmuel would take the attitude how do we define this from a perspective of between person and person so how does that apply in our issue in our story if we're going to say that a new king is actually not really a new king it's the same king and yet he's a really wicked guy So if it's the same king, then his rebellion against Hashem is not so powerful. Why? Because he could rationalize his attitude towards Hashem to say as follows: When Yaakov arrived in Mitzrayim and when he left Paris' presence, he gave tremendous respect respect to this king. Uh, gave him honor like to a king, he accepted his authority. So, if he's an old king, he thinks, Look, clearly Yaakov has endorsed me. I have divine authority to make decrees as I see fit. Whereas, if you're looking from a perspective of how you treat people, especially which people, the people who are the descendants of Yosef who saved the country. That would not be an excuse to say, I have authority, and therefore I can now decree against these people. It's just umen If you're the same king who your good friend Yosef did so much goodness to, then if it's the old king, his rishos to other people, to those people who are the descendants of Yosef, is extreme. Abaramelech Chodash Mammesh Beref, new king literally means a new king. Vasnitim Ota Yak Valeuski visin Quite Malchus, who was never given the recognition by somebody of the calibre of Yaakov Avinu. Unit Zaim Luchoshlita Hom dimene salongunum of sich kumendeki Mitraim. And when the Jews entered Mitraim, they never accepted him as their king. The only thing is he became the king at a time where Jews were already in Mitzraim it's not as if the Jews came to his land and accepted him as their king. So he doesn't really have an excuse to say, that Ebeshter empowered me over these people and I can choose as I wish. So his sin is now against Hashem. He's a new king who gave you the right now to stand up against Hashem and act this way towards his people. Whereas, if you're looking at interpersonal relations, that's not where you see his real wickedness. He was not a person, personal beneficiary of Yosef, so he doesn't owe Yosef and his family in the same way as if it had been an old king. So the movement now, we can understand, as from because we know clearly that the Torah wants to highlight for us how wicked Paroi is, is Rav, if you're looking from Rav's perspective, as on a canal in benodem Rav wants to say if he's a Russia, it must express itself in how his attitude is towards Hashem. After learning Chodesh Mamish, you must say it's a new king. For which reason it's a terrible chutzpah on his part to rebel against Hashem in such a way and say, Now I'm going to treat people that you didn't necessarily give me authority over. You didn't bring them into my space. You didn't send a Yaakov Avina to acknowledge me as his king. Whereas, from Shmuel's perspective, where the main issue in life is how you treat people, and therefore the main rishos would express itself in mistreatment of people, he says it's the same king, so therefore he has an excuse to say, maybe they best empowered me. But to treat people who were so good to you and saved your country in this particular way so badly, that's the real rishos. So he says, and now we can appreciate why in the previous two cases where Rashi did quote the names Rav Shmuel, why he did so. In the story of Yosef and Potiphar's wife, really what the Pasuk wants to illustrate is how Yosef retains his righteousness despite the temptation. Before we get to this uh, this climax moment where Yosef comes into the house and there's only Potiphar's wife there already before that the Torah tells us Potiphar put him in charge of the house gave him free reign and he had no issues he had no, nothing to worry about with Yosef in his house then Potifar's wife starts up with him, and he says, forget about it. There's no way I'm the greatest person in this house. How could I do something so terrible? says, How could I do this? Not only that, but she persisted daily to try and pester him. And it happened every single day and he didn't listen. So what's the context? That Torah is building a case that Yosef is an incredible person. He doesn't succumb to this temptation that's battering on his door every single day. And then after the moment where Poitifra's where, where Potiphar's wife confronts him, what does the Torah say? He ripped himself away, literally ripped left her cloak in his cloak in her hands and ran for his life. So it's pretty clear that the Torah wants us to know Yosef's a good person who retains his righteousness. And the only question is, when he comes on that fateful day to do his work, what does it mean? Was it literally that he was going to do his work? Or was it that he was at that moment weak and ready to sin? So Lloyd Rav, if you go according to Rav's opinion, Rav's entire attitude to how you understand concepts and psukim and Torah is the relationship between the person and Hashem. It has to be that he came literally to do his work, not to sin against Hashem. This is in spite of the fact that the context of the Pasuk that says that there was nobody else around lends itself that perhaps he was ready to sin. Because Rav says the attitude of the Pesukim is to show us that Yosef is a good person and if he would have come with intention to sin, that would have been a, an affront to Hashem. And Ben La Lamokim is the main thing that you focus on. So Ben La Lamokim, he was still okay. So Melach, means he came to work. Whereas if you look from Shmuel's perspective, Shmuel's entire attitude towards Torah is always look at the interpersonal relationships. Then it makes more sense that he actually was ready to succumb. When was he ready to succumb when nobody else is around? Why would that be a relevant piece of information To know that nobody else is around Because that means that there's no way It will now harm his relationship Either with the other members of the household Or possibly with the word getting back to Potiphar So there you see it again Rav and Shmuel Is the specific Lishitasa When Rashi quotes their names The Benodam Lamokam Or Benodam Lachaveroid perspectives And we'll see the same thing With their interpretation of the Eishel That Avram Avinu made, especially considering that that's where Rashi says Rav Shmuel, even though the Gemara Medrash say otherwise. So, Rashi says that the one opinion of Eshel is that it's an orchard from which Avram Avinu could bring fruits to the people, to his guests. Whereas, according to Shmuel, it's this big inn that has all kinds of food, etc. Now, if you're looking from Shmuel's perspective, where the, the main thing is to see how people treat each other, it's natural why Shmuel would say it's an inn and not just an orchard. An orchard provides fruit, which is beautiful, but it's not nearly as much as you'd be doing for another person as offering them the full hotel experience whereas if you're looking at the idea of him bringing them fruit that highlights the attitude towards Hashem why? so we need a little bit of historical context for this here we're talking about how is not only services the people but how he's doing something which is in a sense a gift to Hashem because we know a little bit of history, you know, that Cain, when he wanted to bring an offering to Hashem, he brought produce from the earth. So therefore, Avraham is not just servicing his guests, but he's also bringing some kind of an offering to Hashem, which fits into the context. And he's doing, obviously, much more than Cain. Cain just brought some produce and he's bringing fruit, which, of course, is a delicacy. On the von Memrus. That's why Rashi quotes the names of who said which opinion, because it actually helps us to understand a lot more than what appears in the Pshat. And on specifically chooses the names which are not commonly used in the Gemara and the midrash for this particular argument. He wants to say that it refers to Rav and Shmuel because that highlights for us a great insight and attitude into each of the two opinions. Are we talking just simply about how you treat people or is there an element of service of Hashem here as well? So this is going to then give us a personal lesson, a very valuable lesson, especially when you live in a time that all kinds of narratives and all kinds of attitudes have become so prevalent that as a normal, from Jewish person, sometimes you feel a little bit ashamed of holding on to eternal values. The 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 lesson for us is, the people who argue us, we have connections, connections in, in the government. Like they said at the time of Purim, we have a sister in the king's house new friend or an alter friend we could say we have a new friend on the block or we could say there's old people who have historical connection to the Jewish nation, and they look after our interests which means then that if one of those people who is our friend in the government now makes a new law, a new decree, the Jewish people shouldn't get nervous even if it's against the terror we have to follow. We have to follow because this is our uh, our 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 leader. I, that means that we'll now become the slaves of Paroi instead of the slaves of Hashem who are completely dedicated with all our effort and diligence to learn Torah, And people who should keep mitzvahs in the best way possible and acknowledge Hashem in everything we do. What do you want? Let over its We are citizens of Egypt, and we live the best life in Egypt. And so you know certain things. Unfortunately, we have to, we have to compromise because this is the expectation of the world that we live in. So we have to know from this parish and from Rashi's interpretation of this parish, it doesn't matter if this is a new kid on the block, a new leadership or a new attitude or a new narrative, or if it's the old narrative and the old leadership. If he speaks the language of one kind of political or ideological narrative or another, conservative, liberal, doesn't matter which voice it is as long as this person is a leader, a king of Mitzrayim, meaning those who cause angst and trauma for the Jewish people, which means that they give difficult, uh, give a difficult time to the practice or the belief system of Judaism, we need to know that as comfortable as it might be to accept, this is a strategy by the Yitzhore to try, and hurt us. And even if they come across as being so benevolent and nice and liberal and accepting and all those wonderful things, as we well know, that is often sin in its own right. So we have to take a different attitude. As we have to adopt the attitude of the midwives who lived in Mitzrayim. They went completely against Paris' decree, which was throw the boys into the river and keep the girls alive. We know very well, as the has explained multiple times, what it means to throw boys into the Nile and keep girls alive. It means thrust them into and immerse them into that which happens to be the prevalent Avoidazor of Egypt at that particular time, Keyodua. As the year is given for as we well know then, the Nile was the deity of the Egyptians. And today it's and making money. Or liberalism, whatever the particular avoidance there might be today, because the intention is not just to drown the the Jewish body, but mostly the Jewish soul. And even Paro's so-called benevolence to say keep the girls alive as given a von was part of the decree. der dem it means let them live by our life, let let them live with our attitudes, with our narrative, with our liberalism, with our wokeism. Kinder. So we have to learn from the, the midwives who did everything in their power to the point of risking their lives to ensure that those children would survive. And not only would they survive physically, but that they would survive as Jewish children and, and receive the right kind of education and input. Ah, you're going to say, but, but there are certain things we have to do according to the rules of nature. You know, to shloi Malchos and all those kinds of things. We have to interact with the nations of the world. We have to speak to them. We have to have dialogue, etc. Yes, we have to do those things and we have to model ourselves after Moshe Rabbeinu who spoke to Paroi in a very specific way. Of course, he gave the appropriate respect to Paroi as Merach Mitzrayim. But he had the unwavering staff of Hashem in his hand, which means, if He had the strength and the perseverance and the chutzpah of being Jewish. Certainly not to feel less about himself in the face of the interaction that he had with the leader of the non-Jewish nations. And certainly absolutely not to try and hide our Judaism. And when we are willing not to take on and take to heart the decrees of the countries we live in today that are against Judaism. and Instead, we completely invest in real, authentic Jewish education for our children and all Jewish children. We create a divine army, children who become Jews who are healthy both in flesh and in spirit, which will bring Mashiach right now, not by capitulating, not by compromising, but by standing strong for Jewish eternal values under all circumstances.